Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here, perfection is not an aspiration. It's a mandate. They hold themselves and each other to an extremely high standard and never hold back when things go sideways, but Lord knows they're always there for each other when they need it the most. This week's bad bitch quote comes from none other than Bravo Television itself in conjunction with its announcement that there is going to be a new Real Housewives series taking place in none other than Salt Lake City, Utah, a city nobody asked for. (laughs) We've been begging for Chicago, for Nashville, for, I don't know, anybody besides a white woman. And here we go to one of the whitest enclaves in America in a shocking move. I'm shocked. Maybe some others are not, but I am. Um, So yeah, they will be going to Salt Lake City in 2020, I believe. Um, I have a excuse me, a little bit of insider info in that, um, to answer your question, apparently none of the reported cast is actively Mormon. Um, there is a woman who apparently, um, uh, is now married to her grandmother's ex-husband. Wow. Now, listen, as a black woman, I have a lot of feelings. I'm very disappointed in the lack of representation. I think there have to be, there have to be, have to be a, an enclave of incredible Asian women, incredible Latinx women. They did a rollout of um, Texacanas last year, which I did not think did well and I don't think got renewed. Um, there was also Mexican Dynasties, which was a really interesting show and I think did get renewed. Um, we see all these very interesting different cultures on the network already, like Shaws of Sunset, Real Housewives of Potomac, Real Housewives of Atlanta, shows that consistently give you great drama that is not, you know, women fighting over panties or some other mundane aspect, um, faking cancer, which is actually pretty interesting, honestly. I'll give you that, Vicky. <laughs> it was evil, but it was it was necessary for the franchise. Um, 
yeah, I I guess I I would I'm curious to know what everybody thinks about it. I think everybody was really shocked. Um I think that there was a lot of disappointment like me that there was not going to be um a housewives a new show that was going to be a little bit more representative of what's going on in the country. I think a lot of people felt like this was really catering to a lot of white conservatives, which I think is an interesting opinion and a probably correct opinion to have. Um I would really be interested in knowing what the actual thought process behind that was. Um and also, like, let me know where you, what cities you guys would want. I know, you know, like I said, a lot of people would like Chicago or San Francisco. Um, but what are, like, the lesser-known cities, like a Potomac, that you think would work for the franchise? Let me know. Um, with that being said, I didn't talk too much about Housewives this week on my own. However, I was on this awesome podcast called Mixing with Moni where we discussed every new Housewives episode from the past week. Um, Dallas, Jersey, uh, Atlanta, and what's the other one? There are too many. I'm not even going to think about it. There are too many. Um, Yeah, so check her out. It was a really great conversation. And we actually have another little update to the Natalia Grace story. Thank you. I got so much great feedback um, about that episode with me and Troy. And here we have one Liz Bentley of Feathers in My Hair. She is a self-proclaimed know-it-all. And she has come to clear, clear up some questions that we had um she went deep in the reddit vaults in which to do that and i am very grateful so here is liz now to talk about natalia grace hi guys liz bentley here you may know me as the host of feathers in my hair podcast i basically have bullied my way onto this show i listened last week to kara and troy's episode which was wonderful i love kara i love troy but here's the thing i am like so deeply convinced that natalie grace the nine-year-old maybe not nine-year-old uh ukrainian girl is a child and i asked kara if i could rebut some of the things that they said (laughs) which look I understand that's psychotic but like I'm kind of psychotic when I get a hold of something and I know something to be true it just sits in my head until I can rant about it being true and because my podcast is about teen mom there's not a place for this on my podcast so thank you so much Kara for letting me send in this voice note and basically just explain why I think Natalie Grace is absolutely a child. What I will say is that I really think that Kara, you and Troy were right in that I don't think Natalie knows how old she is. I think that's definitely accurate. Uh, I don't, I just, it seems like it'd be hard for her to know her exact age because of the way Ukrainian adoptions are, and it would be impossible to validate if her papers from the Ukraine are correct. But I think that she's definitely within four years of what she says she is. So they say right now that she's 16 years old, right? I could believe that she's anywhere from 16 to 20 years old. But basically, I think what's gotten really lost in this whole thing is that Christine Barnett, who was the adopted mother of Natalie Grace, the one that has claimed that she is a psychotic serial killer or whatever she's saying, who's actually an adult, 
is a fucking sociopath. Like that woman is not well. I have major issues with her. And I just want to give my theory with some uh, timeline facts on the case. Basically, the one thing that sucks is that it's been really hard to piece together the exact timeline of this. Uh, Shout out to Reddit's Unresolved Mysteries. They have had quite a few posts and have been able to put together like a decent timeline. There's still not really a good explanation of why the police waited so long to charge the parents, but they did. Here's my best theory on what happened. So I think poor Natalie Grace was brought over from the Ukraine. She was a special needs child in that she has a medical condition, dwarfism, and I would imagine that she had reactive attachment disorder. This is extremely popular Popular seems like a weird word there. Extremely common in children adopted from the Ukraine. It was like this big thing. Ukraine adoptions became very popular in the 2000s. And then all of a sudden, all of these people had these adopted children with really bad RAD. That's what it's called. R-A-D, RAD. Is it RAD or R-A-D? I don't know. I'm going to call it RAD. And they had so there's like a known issue in children that are adopted from the ukraine having really bad attachment disorders and i think that in her first family they probably had the bad attachment disorder issues which is why they had to do an emergency adoption i think emergency adoptions of foreign children are very weird and suspect i encourage you all to look into the rehoming of children movement basically it is this phenomenon of people adopting children from foreign countries, especially Eastern European countries, and then essentially rehoming them like they're dogs. Now, as somebody that like often encourages people to rehome their dogs if they're really not a good fit for their family, the idea of rehoming a child is horrific. Uh, there was a senator or congressman who kind of got caught doing this, which like brought light to the whole thing. But basically, the way these adoptions work is that they just like rehome the children. Uh, this emergency adoption, whatever the fuck that means, was done within 24 hours, which means that Natalie Grace, like God knows what type of issues she's having. By the way, is her name actually Natalia? <laughs> Here's the other thing. I didn't even watch the Dr. Phil thing. I've just read because by the time the Dr. Phil thing happens, I uh, had read so much about it that I kind of felt tapped out. This is like I'm a really big hypocrite. I hope everybody knows that. Um, I think her name is Natalia, isn't it? Not Natalie. I don't know. I'm going to call her Natalie. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. Um, Oh, but so, you know, Natalie obviously had issues, not only medical, but probably psychological issues from an attachment disorder situation. And then she was emergency placed into a family that was not ready to deal with her, obviously. Now, the big thing with her mom, Christine, is that she is an autism super mom. And if you know about autism super moms, they are this like crazy subsection of women who have children with autism who it becomes kind of their entire identity and they start wearing this badge. Now we can get into the fact that there's really no autism super dads and that's because, you know, women are expected to take care of their kids and there definitely is like an undercurrent of sexism involved in this like super mom label that is definitely like scoffed at online. But, you know, that's a whole nother story. Basically, they had a child that was diagnosed with autism at the age of two 
and was told he would have like severe handicaps and severe disabilities. And then Christine, using her incredible mothering, was able to develop him into a child prodigy. He definitely is a prodigy. He's like currently getting his PhD in mathematics and he's like 19 years old. Uh, but she had faced a lot of criticism like a couple years ago, I think in 2015 or 2016, when she published a book all about how she basically like cured her son's autism. <laughs> she doesn't cure, have claimed to have cured his autism, but uh, many of the Amazon book reviews basically say that this book is like a love letter to herself. There's apparently a ton of weird lies that she made in the book that don't make any sense. I suggest you guys all look through the Amazon reviews. Obviously, you have to look at the date of the reviews because if they came out in 2019, they're one-star reviews. It's just about, you know, the adoption story and people doing what they can to get through to her. But if you look at reviews from pre-the story breaking, they're really negative uh, she had done 60-minute specials. Like, her whole thing was being a super mom. So here's what I believe happened. I believe that Natalie possibly did have, like, a period and had gone through puberty and had pubic hair at a very young age. But <laughs> one of the major factors of a girl going through early puberty, which includes obviously getting a period and growing pubic hair, is international adoption. Like if you Google uh, early period international adoption, like there's all these studies that show that children that like go through the trauma of international adoption are more susceptible to early puberty. So it is very possible that she was six getting a period. Personally, I think this goes back a little more to like the fact that she was probably eight, nine or 10 and not six. Like I do think that she was like a a couple years older than they said she were, than the family was told she was. Uh, it's also possible that she had gotten growth hormones while still in the Ukraine, which had really messed up her puberty. But basically, yeah, I can believe the mom that the kid had full puberty. Another thing that I think is very interesting is that her whole thing is like, I'm the mom of a genius. But when the seven-year-old daughter says, like, these children exhaust me, which, by the way, is something I would have said at seven. Uh, and instead of being like, oh, wow, she's really smart, she, like, decides that she's not a child. It's very weird. The first two doctors that they took her to agreed that she was 10 or 11 years old. Like, she got two full bone density scans, and they agreed that she was that age. It's this third doctor who apparently wasn't even Natalie's doctor. He just was the dad's doctor. I believe the dad's name is Michael. Yes, Michael. It was just the dad's doctor. And he wrote this crazy letter that I encourage you all to read. He says that the girl is a, like a psychopath. He's been diagnosed as a psychopath, which isn't even something that people get diagnosed with anymore. And the doctor would really have no uh, reason to be diagnosing her. He's not a psychiatrist. And then they basically use the letter of one single doctor to get her age changed. Now, that's crazy. Obviously, this needs like a total like internal review, the way that they need to figure out the way that they were able to get a judge to change a birth certificate. I personally didn't even know that you could get an age change. But I think uh, people hear like, well, they got the age change, so they assume that it must be true. But the fact is, supposedly, it was based off one single letter. The doctor apparently didn't even come in and testify. He just wrote a fucking letter and they were able to get the age changed because apparently they had coached Natalie into saying she was a certain age. And so the judge believed her and believed the letter and she got this age. Now, the reason that I think they wanted to get rid of her is because Natalie had issues from her attachment disorder. 
and they wanted to go to Canada and not have to deal with her. Um, I know it's been said that she was living alone for two years, but that's not actually accurate. Uh, The important thing to remember is most of the timeline that is in the public, initially at least, is just all supplied by the mom, Christine. And of course, she's going to make it so you know, everything checks out, this psychopath has come to kill us, whatever. She lived alone for two years, so how did she do that? Well, it's not true. They put her in the apartment in July 2013. By August 2013, so one month later, uh, her new family, who she currently lives with, had already kind of started posting about her on Facebook, and apparently by October 2013, she was fully living with them. Now, she was still technically had this apartment, but she wasn't living there. She was being cared for them. Uh, When Natalie was, I believe, in 2015, uh, the new family tried to get guardianship of her, and the Barnetts uh, came back and fought that in court because... (sighs) Because if they admitted that the girl was actually 14 or however old she would have been in 2015, then they would have abandoned her and they couldn't, the family couldn't get guardianship of her because she was technically an adult. Uh, They ended up not going through with the adoption because of technicalities with the family. Now, I'm not sure exactly like why the police finally got involved when they did, but the fact is, is that this girl like, didn't live alone for two years. Like her psychopath, Christine, I'm an autism super mom, says that they lived alone for two years, but she, says that she lived alone for two years, but she didn't. She just didn't. She lived with this new family that she's been with. If you look through their Facebook profiles, which are pretty easily accessible if you Google around for them, they have been posting pictures of her since 2013. She's been living with them since 2013. And you can clearly see this girl start to age. Like, does she look a little older than 10? I guess she would have been 10 when they ditched her. Like, yeah, she does. But you can see her. Like, her face changes. She starts to get breasts. Like, her body changes throughout the years. And when you look at The pictures of her now compared to the pictures of her when she was with the Barnetts, like, it's clear that this is a girl that, like, has aged (laughs) and she looks like a teenager and it's not like she look, like, I don't know, it just looks clearly like it's a person that has aged. I think that the reason I feel so passionate about this (laughs) is because to me it seems so obvious that, like, these parents are just fucking crazy and it is way more likely that there are two abusive parents who wanted to shine on their son's autism and go live in Canada and not deal with their fucked up daughter that they adopted. I think they adopted her to kind of prove some point, like, oh, we have this Ukrainian child, she's special needs, we're special needs parents. I think they were really, like, really big about that and really into that. And when it wasn't working, instead of getting her the help she needed, they fucking ditched her. I personally think it's much easier to believe that two super abusive parents use the system to get what they wanted and to be able to ditch this child uh, without having any, have to take any accountability for it. And I think it's much less likely that there is some sociopath adult pretending to be a child living in this, in these people's home. Now, could that have happened? Sure. But the fact, like, the fact is this girl has now been living with her new family for six years. She's happy. She is part of, like, a loving family unit. She apparently hasn't had any issues with them. She has been through milestones in her life with them. And why wouldn't she be, like, continuing to scam if she was really this terrible scammer? 
I just think it's much more likely that these are two abusive pieces of shit who abandoned a child and did everything they could to get away with it. Uh, I'm glad to see that they're arrested. And that's really my thoughts. I don't know if I've convinced anyone or why I felt like I really needed to set the record straight because I actually don't have any facts or proof of anything more than anybody else. But I did and I wanted to. And Kara, thank you so much. I'm loving the new podcast. Everyone rate uh, everyone remember to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and give it five star reviews because Kara deserves it. And if you like the show Teen Mom, listen to my podcast, Feathers in My Hair. And Kara, thank you for letting me speak my mind about this. This is psychotic. As I'm recording this in my head, I'm like, why are you doing this? <laughs> but anyway, that's it. Thank you. You guys, I'm I'm sorry for my tone, but I hope you'll understand after I say this, but I am standing before you, a woman who is absolutely humbled after this week's events. I have hated this person from the moment they stepped on, on my screen. I have to make an admission, though. After careful consideration, I have determined that one Tamara Waddle Barney judge of the Real Housewives of Orange County is one of the best wives, housewives out there. I can't even believe I'm saying this, but she has managed to be truly the messiest housewife of all time in all franchises. Um, and at this point, she's just like phoning it in and pretending that she has no idea that she's stirring the pot with these women and exposing people's personal business while she's looking directly into the camera. We watched her sit in an Escalade dressed like an old Carol Burnett character. Like, oh my God, what an old reference. Google it if you don't know what I'm talking about. But um, um, well, she tells Vicky that Kelly would never want to attend her birthday party and that she would only want to attend her funeral. Something that was obviously a joke, question mark, <laughs> but not something that you should repeat to somebody, especially somebody as, as wildly insecure as Vicky, who is completely open about the fact that she has these past... Um, traumas and wounds from middle school and high school and not being the popular pretty girl like to tell her that somebody didn't want her to go to her own birthday party was like (laughs) diabolical um and for her to like gasp like oh I didn't mean to tell you like she's she's a crazy Tamara's a crazy crazy person two episodes now we watched as everyone sat down realizing that Every problem that they had this season goes right back to Tamara making admissions, to lying about what was said, to bringing up topics that she shouldn't bring up from uh, from the train situation with Kelly, um, fat shaming Shannon, sending Kelly that video. (laughs) That was actually so funny. Uh, Tamara sent Vicky this video of a woman that it went viral of a woman who gets smacked lightly in the back of the head by a file folder in court. And the woman sits there and then, <laughs> then decides to start screaming and holding her head like she has suddenly, suddenly had a concussion from these uh, three papers that were gently tapped in the back of her head. But yeah, for her to just act like she has no part in all of this and to actually get away with it. She weaseled it. 
I mean, I have never seen somebody do something more easily than like me going through a bag of dark chocolate peanut butter cups from Trader Joe's. Like she was able to get her way out of that situation and completely manipulate Shannon and Gina into thinking that Shannon had done something wrong, that Kelly had done something wrong. I'm sure Bronwyn's going to get in trouble for something at some point. It was amazing. But here's the thing, you guys. I live by the rules of the mafia. I represent hashtag thug life. (laughs) Um, And honestly, you guys, you have to salute a bad bitch when you see one. You, I do not like her. I would fake sick if I was within 50 feet of her to avoid having to make eye contact. I am terrified of her. Um, With that being said... Game recognized game, and I just have to respect her for what she's bringing to the franchise. Because you guys, I've been fighting. Orange County is the one franchise that I have not seen fully. Now, I have not watched um, Miami. I never watched DC. I don't consider them canon to the Housewives franchise, even though technically they are. But out of all the other ones, this is the only franchise that I've skipped. Like, apparently there was a season where... Tamara was like a lesbian or something. I have no idea. Um, but with that being said, like this, this franchise has been in the gutter for quite some time and I appreciate her at least bringing some controversy, some drama, something to talk about. Now, if Beverly Hills would like to do the same, I think we'd all be grateful for it. Um, but yeah, just to see, (laughs) just see her, sit at lunch with Shannon with a giant cross necklace with like a black and highlighter green athleisure outfit, which was like pedal. (laughs) Do people say pedal pushers? They were like Capri shorts, which I guess is normal for athleisure, but she was also wearing these like chunky Lucite heels. (laughs) It was a look for sure. Um, And just to completely manipulate somebody it was it was incredible to watch. It was incredibly frustrating to watch, but it was a sight to behold nonetheless. Now, just to be very clear, I'm divorcing how Tamara reacts or and interacts with the housewives and these this um freaking Ryan storyline. Should we even get into it? It's like so gross. If you guys don't know, Ryan is Tamara's oldest son. She had him as a teen and, you know, they struggled financially and she married uh, her second husband, Simon. She was only married to Ryan's dad for like the first year of his life. They were on their own until Ryan was like 13 or 14 and then she started, I guess, dating and eventually married Simon. She had two kids with Simon and this is where I guess all the trouble starts with Ryan. To me, I think that the conversation to be had currently is because I saw people were um, very divided on what Eddie said in regards to the situation. Now, Ryan decided to go to therapy and try to sort out his issues of um, being a not rich kid in Orange County, I guess. But Eddie said in a talking head, um, while Tamara is telling him about the therapy session, he says, um, 
<laughs> well, first of all, Tamara tells him that he that that Ryan called himself a loser and like stupid and that he wasn't amounting to anything. And you could see that that Eddie was like, yeah. Yeah, that's all of those things are true. <laughs> However, um, in the talking head, Eddie says, when you're struggling with your childhood issues as a man, I don't think you're a man. Okay? So just get over it, move on, grow up, and take care of your responsibilities. That's life. Now, I really um, don't like the notion of, like, what it takes to be a man, whatever that means, and that it's entirely too easy to tell people to just get over it. And I don't, I I see that Ryan's hurting and I want to feel bad for him, but we also see that Ryan is a transphobic, racist, MAGA hat wearing, Trump supporting, you know, abusive to his baby mama, you know, threatening her with uh, shooting her, sending her pictures of guns. So it's really hard to have empathy for him and sympathy. But when you see somebody who's clearly going through it, I mean, it happens. With that being said, like I said, I don't disagree with what Eddie said. And I think we have to take stock in the fact that, like, Eddie's there. He's seen how Ryan acts. We've all seen how Ryan acts when he was, you know, like 10 years ago, um, when Simon was trying to get him to work at the dealership and, like, try to start a path for himself and really create a life for himself. We've seen Ryan just like buck at the idea and like really bristle and really go against that. And I think that unfairly um, both Ryan and Tamara both kind of blame Simon for pushing Ryan too hard or whatever it is that they think that they did. It's like, you can't have it both ways. Like either Simon was pushing you too hard or you didn't get to have the opportunities. And my thing is like, I have older parents who worked very hard and, you know, as a black woman, I was always told like, you have to work that much harder to just be seen as average in this world. And so it's very hard for me to see somebody who is just like, Oh, I didn't grow up wealthy until I was 13. Like I, (laughs) I just don't have sympathy for him because I, he, I don't think he, I don't think that Ryan truly understands it. Like, it doesn't seem to be about that he feels isolated from his family. It doesn't seem to be that he, like, I, I didn't have structure, which should be the issues. It's really just, like, there's a part of me that just feels jealous that, like, my my other siblings had all these stuff and I didn't get it. But, like, how is that going to make your life better? How is that going to change the situation that you're in now? Because... Eddie also brought up a great point. He said different kids need different things. Some children need to be coddled. Some, you know, some children are sensitive and you need to be patient with them. Some people need a kick in the pants. And Ryan is a person who, I I feel like this was always going to happen to him. If Ryan had grown up rich and if Simon was his actual father and this is how, you know, things were going, I think Ryan would still be in the same place that he is today. He just would have found a different excuse, honestly. Um, And so I'm with Eddie. I'm hashtag team Eddie on this and basically nothing else. Um, 
oh my god you guys <laughs> i just had a revelation is ryan like ryan from the oc and spencer his younger half brother like seth cohen am i onto something here <laughs> is ryan is ryan from chino are ryan and tamer from chino can somebody just tell me that um yeah, I just I just find it very frustrating that she's trying to humanize this person who is not putting any of the work into being humanized. And I think he's gone from being I, I think he is also a manipulator like his mother. And I think he goes from just finding everybody else's fault in the situation except for him. We never see him say like, oh, I should be proactive. Maybe I should get a job. Maybe I should go back to school. Maybe I should find something at all that fulfills me outside of my daughter, which is great. But you loving your daughter isn't paying the bills. You loving your daughter is only going to get you so far in terms of your fulfillment. There are lots of things outside of that that are within you that you need to work on. Y'all feel me? Anyway, I really hate Ryan and I hate his little rat face. And I just, I I hope that we're all free of him after this season. But salute to you, Tamara, for, you know, taking some screen time away from Gina crying in her bad extensions. Welcome back to the Kardashian corner, y'all. This week, Courtney has made the shocking announcement that she's going to be stepping back from the show to really focus on herself more (laughs) and to raise her children. To which the world says, all right, that's the end of the Kardashian corner for this week. (laughs) Catch us in the next episode. You guys, 90 Day Fiance is back and it's back with a vengeance. I'm truly, I feel alive. I feel um, just like, just more like myself when 90 Day Fiance is back. We have mostly all new couples and I'm just going to do like a quick rundown of my thoughts on them. But before I get to that, I just want to announce that. I'm not announcing this, but Paul of Paul and Carini have announced that they are getting a divorce. Paul did the very classy and mature thing of taking to Instagram stories, posting a picture of one of the characters of Rick and Morty, the cartoon show, um, crying and saying that Carini has uh, begun the divorce proceedings in Manaus, which is in Brazil, obviously. since then, we've really not had any word from Karini other than she got a haircut, which to me seems very telling of her wanting to move on. Because, y'all, if you guys know Karini and her hair journey, and yeah, this this is a big change for her. We'll just say that. <laughs> um, but now we're getting into the new couples. I'm going to start with Tanya and Sinjin. Tanya is an American. She is an activist. And Sinjin is a guy that she met in South Africa. She had met this dude on, let's say, Tinder, one of the dating apps. He was going to, he was also South African and he was going to be going back. So he bought her a plane ticket so they could get to know each other. So she went to South Africa. Things weren't working out. So one random night, she left the guy that she was with, went to the club, met some girls, and met this bartender. That bartender was Sinjin, and it's been, you know, butterflies and flowers ever since then. Um, Tanya is an interesting person. I cannot stand her. (laughs) She is one of those people who says, like, 
oh, I'm so type A, I need everything my way, I'm so right, everything I do is perfect. And the truth of the matter is, she is bossy. She's obnoxious. She's not this badass type A kind of girl that she's sort of projecting. She's real. she, she's not the prize in this. <laughs> and I, and I'm very hesitant to say that about a woman, you know, guys, I hate men. So it's very hard for me to say that like Sinjin is actually the prize in the situation, but he is. Tanya is, I think she's from Connecticut, but she goes to New York to, um, to well, that's where Sinjin is going to be flying in, and so they're going to be spending a couple days there, so he can like see Times Square, blah blah blah. She brings two friends of hers, and they come. She t- steals one of her mom's finest dresses from Talbot's in order to meet Sinjin at JFK. Now she says that she wants everything to be so perfect, and she has to look so perfect. Truly, like, the dress was from, like, Dots. It was a dress barn, maybe a a dress barn special collection dress, but a a matronly dress for a (laughs) 30-year-old, nonetheless. And she was wearing flats, and she was wearing the makeup that she wore from the night before, and instead of putting her hair down, by the time she gets in the car, it's, like, up in a messy bun. So she basically looks like she is doing the walk of shame in the middle of the day. So I'm not really sure like what all this perfection is for. She's freaking out because Sinjin has texted her while they're on their way and he has landed and she flips out, not thinking for a second, like this dude has to go through customs. He's not, you're not going to be late. You'll be fine. Um, so they, this is okay. I could not stand her before I clocked her before but if you didn't see it then you definitely saw it at the airport this was the most ugly american insane thing that i've ever seen in my life she and her friends and by the way her friends are not her friends they're minions they're like she's yeah she's like the top mean girl and they are like gretchen wieners and the other one <laughs> um they are so uh, Tanya's screaming she's shaking they're putting rose petals on the ground at the airport they have a full-size bottle of champagne girl if I can't go through the security line with a full-size bottle of lotion why do you think that you're gonna be popping out the Andre by the baggage claim and that everything is going to be okay. And you're just literally littering. I, Cause God knows she had no intention of picking up those pedals off the ground of the airport just to create this moment in which she literally is like, I thought they were going to have to give her oxygen. She is screaming when he comes to when, when she finally makes eye contact with him. Screaming, shaking, oh, 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 like, like, like an extreme home makeover. And she's just seeing her house for the first time. It was unbelievable. Sorry if you guys can hear these sirens. I live in New York, y'all. Making the best with what I got. Um, yeah, it was 
the craziest, craziest thing. So they finally get back to the hotel and her friends are just standing there. Obviously, you're getting in a long flight. You're seeing your girl that you haven't seen in however long. You're about to make a life for each other. Don't you think that... Wow, it's really going down out there. (laughs) Don't you think that you would want to have some alone time and her friends are literally standing there like if Sinjin hadn't specifically said that he wanted to have private time with her I think they would have just stayed and watched them have sex with each other that was crazy and then her friend had the audacity of saying oh well you guys have two hours before we're coming back here girl if you don't get the fuck out of here Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. As we all know... When it comes to everyone's business, I like to mention it all, but when it comes to mine, I like to keep things a little bit closer to the chest. But that method doesn't always work when it comes to your mental health, and we all need a way to purge and get it out. Therapy is a safe space to do that and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down by learning positive coping skills and all the tools you need to help you be the best version of yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So you can just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash everyone's business today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash everyone's business. All right, hopefully the alarms are gone now, but we're on to our next couple, which is, oh my gosh, it is Anna and Marcel. Anna is a beekeeper. She met Marcel like you do on a Facebook group for fellow beekeepers. Marcel is from Turkey. He is Muslim. Um, Anna lives in Nebraska with her three sons um, from a previous, I don't think she was married, but she has three sons from a previous relationship. They range between the ages of, I believe, six and 15. Um, They are about to have Marcel move in. Um, Marcel... She meets Marcel in Chicago. He's very excited to be in America. They take the trip from Chicago to Nebraska, which, as you know, if you guys, I mean, basic geography of America, middle America's flatlands, fields, cornfields, as far as the eye can see. You can tell that Marcel had no idea that this was actually what 
parts of America look like and that he's immediately like disenchanted um, by what he's been giving um, given rather. Uh, But here's, here's the thing. Anna has very deep insecurities. I don't know what the guy she was dating before did to her, but she is going through it. She does not need a relationship with anybody but a therapist. (laughs) And it is, it is very evident by the fact that she would move a man in, in which she had, I mean, we see this time and time again, where the people are not telling the whole truth. Marcel is a devout Muslim. He does not drink. He, you know, keeps fit. He's very strict in these things. He's got strict rules. Um, I guess he feels like, I guess, I don't know if this is like a religious thing or a cultural thing for Turkish people, but he has announced that he has not told his family about Anna's three practically, I mean, these are fully formed humans at this point. (laughs) Like her three children, he does not want to tell his family about that because of the way it would look, because it is not a good look for a man to be with a woman who already has children. This is how I know that Anna is unwell. I mean, listen, we all have our insecurities. We all accept things into relationships that maybe we shouldn't, but it is unfathomable to me that you would move a man into your home with your children when he can't even acknowledge the fact that you have children. And it is also crazy to me. I don't know how old Marcel looks is. He looks in his forties and his big age. I don't care what religion you are. If you want to be with a person and you're willing to move to America to do that, nut up and just tell your family she's got kids. I mean, certainly there are extenuating circumstances. Like there have to be women with kids that are widows. Like there has to be some sort of gray area to where this isn't like a completely black and white issue. And if it is, you don't need to be with her. That is crazy that she would be so willing to be in a relationship where her partner has to deny her children they're living together. I mean, it's not like, it's not like there's really no excuse for that. (laughs) Even if they were fully adults, not living in the house, there's still no reason why he should not be honest with his family. And the fact that he is still on the fence about whether or not, like when they find out if that's going to be an issue, he still doesn't know if he's going to stay with Annie. If it becomes too much of an issue, he may move back to Turkey. And that is wild. That is wild to me. His kids clearly, well, his oldest son, excuse me, Anna's oldest son clearly does not care for him. And I don't blame him. And honestly, I hope they break up because this is really unhealthy dynamic. I I don't care how many B emojis that you guys sent to each other. I don't care how many like stilted conversations you guys have on your translator app this isn't going to work. It's, it's really not going to work. Next, we have Michael and Juliana, another very typical 90 day trope of a rich man finding a woman from a Latin American country, basically. Um, Michael has two kids who are highly intelligent. These are like the sorts of children that I would want. They clock 
and read the hell out of their dad all the time. Cece says that she wants to take Juliana, his new girlfriend, to the American Girl doll store. They are completely (laughs) acknowledging the fact that she is closer in age to them than Juliana is to Michael. Juliana is a smooth 22. Michael is, I believe, 43. Um, He has made his money in the wine business. He has traveled the world. He is making, you know, he's very financially stable. It's been said by himself, by his ex-wife. He's got Porsches. It seems like he lives a very nice life. His wife is very much in the picture. They seem to have like an amicable enough relationship. They were high school sweethearts, but you can tell that his ex is exhausted by the fact that he's clearly going through a midlife crisis. And, you know, usually when that happens, men don't have the sort of wealth that Michael has. So it's really manifesting itself in like a really interesting way. Um, Michael, I thought was going to be better than he was, but then he proved just how disgusting he was when he goes to Brazil to meet up with Juliana for um, her interview for her visa. And when they meet up at the hotel, he remarks to her, to Juliana, like, oh, you've been looking very thin. Juliana's response to that is, oh, I've just been missing you you know, and I haven't been eating, blah, 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 like just trying to be cutesy. But Michael, in response to that, says, well, that's because you're just a poor Brazilian when I'm not here. And when I am here, you're a rich American. (gasps) What? Why would you part your thin, dry, saltine lips to say, I could, that is, what? Bro. Ugh. She, we find out early in the episode that she bought a car on his credit card, and I hope she buys one for the all of her days. I hope she crashes it. I hope she comes to America and crashes all of his Porsches. I hope she sets fire to the new house that he bought. Um, take it all, girl. Take every penny. Because you've now earned it. <laughs> for that overt racism, you've earned his entire net worth. And I'm I'm with you. I'm totally with you, Juliana. Um, next, we have Annie and Robert. Robert is a man from New York, but he now lives in Winter Park, Florida. He has a child who is very cute um, named Bryson. And he is going to meet Anna. Annie, excuse me. He and Annie met in the Dominican Republic. (laughs) Um, Robert is a cheap ass and he shows it in every way possible. So I believe he and Annie met online. And so rather than just take a direct flight to the Dominican Republic to meet her, he takes a cruise, which I'm sure was much cheaper. (laughs) He's such a cheap ass. He takes a cruise that is stopping in the Dominican for a day. They spend eight romantic hours together and he decides to propose. So he has now been back in Florida and Annie is preparing to come here. Um, Things are very exciting, but he is 
it seems like one of the main themes of their relationship is money. Um, he seems to, and here's what we don't talk about on the show. When these women come to America, a lot of them seem to have these expectations that are outside of the bounds of their man's bank account. Now, they don't, they always make it seem like these women, oh, she comes to America, she thinks everybody's rich, you know, she thinks that I've just got money, like, okay, well, why didn't you tell her that you don't? What I think happens 100% of the time on the, with these dudes is that they are promising these women in the world, I'm going to take care of you, making these vague statements like, oh, I got it like that, like, I got you. But the reality of the matter is you're like a Lyft driver in Orlando living in a one-bedroom apartment, and you're expecting Annie to share a bed with you and your son. You couldn't even afford to buy a bed from Walmart to stick in the in the corner. He's like, oh, well, I plan on buying him a bed. Bro, those beds are so cheap. I used to work for a children's store. You can buy a toddler bed with a mattress for, like, nothing. I mean, it's... It's incredible to me. He He's definitely made promises to her that he cannot keep, and now he's going to turn it around on her and make it seem like she had all these... That she's just, like, the spoiled woman who came to America to take advantage of him when he's probably been texting her like, Oh, you know, he's been sending her money this whole time and making it seem one way when it really isn't. And I find that very frustrating because I think it may, it gives the impression that these women are gold diggers. And like we see with Anfisa and some of the other ones, some of them very clearly are, but a lot of them I think have just been promised things and they get to America and it's not what they think at all. (laughs) Do you know how inappropriate it is to expect a woman that you've only known for a few hours to share a bed with your toddler son you didn't think that maybe that was at the very least like awkward for her i would never ever ever do that i would never do like just buy me a plane ticket home like this is not (laughs) not what i signed up for at all he clearly seems to want a wife Well, not a wife. He wants somebody to take care of Bryson. And I think that that's all that that is for him. These men have very specific views of how they want their women and expectations, just like the women do. And it's like, they don't hold up their end of the bargain, but they expect the woman to just like suddenly be mother within 15 minutes of meeting your kid. I mean... Robert has got it all backwards and it's so frustrating to see the last couple that we've seen um, at this point has been Emily and Sasha. Emily is an idiot. No doubt about it. She came to Russia thinking it was going to be like the beginning of Tetris, just like those beautiful buildings. And she was going to be in snow fights with people and drinking I don't know, blackberry tea or something. And she gets there and it's basically like, I mean, it's like Russia. <laughs> I mean, it. why she didn't even consider moving to Googling the city and the country that she was going to be moving to, to just like, 
I don't know, see what the coffee shop scene is. I mean, Emily is a very particular girl. I think she loves like a yoga studio. I think she loves the matcha. You know, I think she just has expectations for her lifestyle. And she wasn't finding that in Volgograd, Russia. What she did find is the Tristan Thompson of Eurasia. Um, His name is Sasha. Sasha's backstory is that he married a woman named Masha. They had a child. Um, then Sasha meets another woman. She her picture is blurred out, so we and we don't know her name, but I'm just gonna call her Tasha. <laughs> so Sasha breaks up with Masha to be with Tasha. Sasha and Tasha have a kid. So now we're at two wives, two children. And Sasha starts working out at the local gym. That's when he meets Emily. He, I mean, they try to make it seem like they were just friends when they met, you know, when I'm sure that they were before they fucked. I mean, let's just be real. Um, But there was clearly like a crossover with this. So now... Sasha is divorced from Tasha. He's now engaged to Emily. And at the point that we meet Emily, she is now four days out from her due date. She is fully, fully pregnant. She and Sasha plan on moving to America after she gives birth. But at the meantime, she'll be giving birth in Volgograd. And yeah, they are they at one point they meet up with Masha the first wife in order to sort of what they claim is try to have a pleasant conversation so that they can sort of broach the situation of having little Sasha Jr. come to America when he wants Masha says it's entirely up to to the baby if he wants to come she's not going to stop him but she has a question just like we all do is um sasha why would you be flying to america to start your new life when you have two kids in russia he really has no answer for that masha is bringing it she's basically saying what we're all thinking is that like sasha was looking for a ticket to america and emily and his new seed were the vessel for him to get that And I totally agree. I think Sasha wants to be some kind of like Instagram thought, you know, fit inspo sort of guy. Um, I think that's his goal. And I, I, I don't know, you guys, I don't know. But you know what I do know is that Emily will fake sick anytime. (laughs) Anytime she gets in an uncomfortable situation, Emily's like, oh, I'm so dizzy. I got to go outside and walk around because that's what dizzy people do when they're pregnant. (laughs) Instead of sitting down, she does this while she's having a conversation on Skype with her sister. And her sister's also asking the real questions of, have you really thought this through? Is this relationship really the one for you? Oh, I'm so dizzy. I can't talk to you. Oh, I gotta go. Bye. So then she has dinner with Masha and Sasha. And as soon as Masha starts asking really genuine questions. Oh, I'm so sick. Oh, I think think I'm crowning now. Oh, is my water broken? I have to go outside again. She is 
an unbelievable person and she's not at all prepared to have a child. Like if you can't have an adult conversation, what are you going to do when your child is keeping you up all night? What are you going to do when they want to watch little Einstein's at three o'clock in the morning? Like you can't just be like, Oh, I don't feel good. Little baby. Oh, I gotta go. No, Emily, get it together. That being said, I'm very excited about the season. I We're going to be another new couple and we're also going to be like have Angela and Michael back. And I'm very excited about all of this. Ugh, what a blessed day that we live in. It has been a couple weeks, you guys, and I've actually been missing talking about Love After Lockup, even though I've only done it once before. <laughs> um, I'm going to start with Daniel and Lizzie. They are just riding high off of their engagement just to set the story for you um daniel lizzie daniel is 24 he is an inmate lizzie is 22 she is a college student they live with Teresa, daniel's mother um and daniel two episodes ago scammed 200 from his mom to go to the jewelry store to get the smallest ring possible um at that point i feel like at 200 dollars, 200 dollars in a jewelry store is like, you might as well just go to Walmart, right? Like, if you're not just going to get, like, a, a classic band and if you really want to, like, have something nice, like, just just do, like, the Amber and Gary from Teen Mom. Go get me a pink ring, pink fake crystal from uh, Walmart and call it a day. <laughs> But that's just me. I, I, I'm not going to yuck anybody's yum. Uh, with that being said, he whisks her off to the luxurious Destinations Inn in Idaho. Um, the Destinations Inn is one of those like classic hotels that I didn't think actually existed. Like, remember in the 90s where like every TV show would talk about going like off to the Poconos and the beds that would jiggle if you put a quarter in it and the heart-shaped um heart-shaped hot tubs it's very much that vibe so every room has like a theme and because lizzie's always wanted to go to paris she he takes her to a paris themed room the only thing parisian about it seemed to be the shower the shower was actually like a recreation of the eiffel tower so you have to like kind of go under it in order to let the water flow from the top in order to use the shower the shower is basically in the middle of the room it appears that all of the floor is tile in the whole hotel room <laughs> um it's a large room i will give them that i'm sure he spent a cool 74.95 that night and so you know love that for them she honestly seemed awestruck by the whole situation um and it was actually a moment where she was like not just like a total you know beautiful individual that creates haters and it was actually sort of heartwarming to see. Now, do we have to get to the reality of the fact that Daniel is a, a former inmate who doesn't even have a high school degree and no potential job prospects? Yeah, we can talk about that. But, you know, let's save it for another day. <laughs> We're celebrating here. Um, so they go back to the house and they find that everybody is outside pushing around gravel i don't do chores so i don't really know what they were doing but they get a little bit freaked out because they were just going to tell Teresa because Teresa was under the impression that that $200 ring was going towards a promise ring not an engagement ring so 
Teresa's kind of needling Daniel to find out like what her what Lizzie's reaction was to the ring. Did she like it? Blah blah blah. He gets freaked out and just blurts out that they actually got engaged. Everybody is celebratory esque. I mean, they all got hugs. I didn't sense an, <laughs> a tone of excitement, but they, there was support there. Um, Teresa, of course, is very upset. She does not think that Lizzie and Daniel are a right match for each other. And she even goes so far as to hug Lizzie, but also whisper in the ear, her ear, I hope this is what you wanted. Something that every future bride wants to hear from their mother-in-law. <laughs> Good luck to them, though. Mazel tov. Um, now we're into Glorietta and, Ale- Glori- Glorietta and Alex. They got into a fight. So we've been introduced to Cato, who is Alex's best friend that he keeps calling him the N-word, despite the fact that there's both of them are very clearly white. Um <clears throat> Yeah. <laughs> um, so they go to a romantic dinner of tacos with Cato and his wife for, um, there's a new holiday called Valentine's Day. I'm not really sure what that is. I don't know if it's associated with, with Valentine's Day, but Glorietta seems to be under the impression that it's Valentine's Day with an M because she says it about seven times. Um, they get in a fight because... Alex basically doesn't know why Glorietta is in this relationship. She seems very focused on the wedding. Um, Cato's seeing a lot of red flags and he, uh, Alex starts to question why it is that Glorietta is in this relationship. What is, what does she see in him? What is it about him? That's really drawing her. He seems to think with his five, two ass that the only reason why she is in this relationship is because <laughs> Because of his body and his tattoos. Now, lest we not forget, I mean, he is maybe a smooth 110 pounds if he is anything. And his tattoos, like I said, are two teardrops uh, cascading down the side of his lip. He's got um, a tattoo kind of like in the, um, what do you call that part of your... Uh, just like on the side of your face by the ear, like a sideburn tattoo kind of that has initials. Um, all of his tattoos seem to be in the um, homemade category. We'll say that. In the um, discount basement. Uh, my boy does tattoos. Let's go to his house and get them done. That sort of thing. I wouldn't be surprised if there was a tribal tattoo, um, a Tasmanian devil, something in that range. So I'm not really sure. I mean, listen, Glorietta is no prize herself, but, um, you know, he, he's the kind of guy who only has abs just because he's like really thin. It's not really because he works out like that really isn't a draw for me. But if she likes it, I love it. Um, also, he thinks that it might be his mind because he's motivated. You feel me? Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Yeah. So he goes up to um, Glorietta. She's working a car show. She's a nursing assistant, but she's working a car show on the weekends to help uh, shore up some funds for the wedding. So he comes up to her at work and starts asking, like, yo, girl, like, why you like me for? What, what are we doing? Uh, I can leave at any time. I spent the night at Kato's last night. Now I'm, I'm going to leave. So he just leaves and she starts crying through all of that silver makeup. And that's pretty much where we're left with them. So we'll move on to Vincent Amber, who also kind of had like a, a short, um, not super interesting storyline this week. They are on their way to uh, Amber's family reunion in Indiana. The Chiron shows that they are only that um, Amber is only six days out of prison at this point. Like I said, last time we talked to them, they were five days and now we're only at six after two episodes. <laughs> so they've really packed in a lot of drama in the less than the week that Amber has been out. So we find out that Amber and her prison wife slash real life wife puppy are, and as well as Amber's mother, who is also in prison, have come up with a scheme for Amber to be with Vince and to kind of marry him, get some money, stay in the relationship until puppy and her mother get out of jail. And then she's going to have some money for them to start their new lives together. Um, so she's really going through it because much like every woman in America, she has no desire to have sex with Vince and his sweaty, oily body. And yeah, she's, she's, suffering through it all so they are in indiana they um they meet we meet amber's brother and her sister and this was actually like the one time in the episode and sometimes in the series like you rarely get these like real life moments but amber basically she's having a talk with her siblings and she says that basically like the next time she goes to jail she's going to have to be there for life i guess she's on like a three strike system so she's having this talk with her siblings and they're saying, you know, they've, they've got kids and they're like, they've never really met you. They don't really know you. They've seen your face, but like, this is really the first time that they've seen you in the flesh and they really want you to be integrated, like, and be their aunt. And we really need you on the outside. And she's just like, you know, I cannot go back to jail because if I go back to jail, I'm not getting out. And that's gotta be a very scary situation to be in. Um, and so we kind of see her have this revelation of, I think I got to get out of this Vince situation because if I'm starting off my life in this crooked way, then like I'm only headed down a path of destruction. And I, I think that was actually really smart of her to come to that realization. So we, it's kind of like left on a cliffhanger. She clearly is not into him. Um, her sister makes gross yucky faces behind his back which same and 
yeah, we're, we're not quite sure if she's going to break it down to Vince or not yet, but we'll see in the next episode. Um, another thing we have Lacey, Shane and John, um, Lacey and Shane of the 21 year old that she picked up from jail first before her potential baby daddy got out of jail two weeks later. It's a whole thing. I mean, you got to watch it to believe it. Anyway, Lacey and Shane are getting married. They announced that they're getting married in two weeks. They have made up. Um, we had this, uh, meet up when John gets out of jail. Lacey's there to meet him just to sort of see if the spark is still there. She claims that it's not. And we see Shane lurking around in the background of the parking lot coming to get her. He eventually walks up to her. They start making out. It's like very Maury 1998. They're making out and uh, John rather is just staring at them and he's starts to call Shane a pussy and tries to instigate a fight. <laughs> They're literally in the parking lot of the jail that he just left. <laughs> it is crazy. They end up leaving and everything is fine, but she ends up meeting up with John again because again, she has a kid that she is not sure whether or not it's his. So she gets one of those, um, you know, paternity tests that you can get from the drugstore um, in order to swab while he's, um, she goes to meet him while he's on a job. So he's like a, looks like an air conditioning guy. Um, so he's trying, like, trying to flirt with her, trying to instigate her. And you could see that she's like really kind of in it, into it. And I gotta admit, like Lacey didn't have any makeup on and she looked so much better, so much better. But anyway, she doesn't really fall for it. And yeah, she's actually like starting to do the right thing. Even though John says in a talking head that eventually she's going to go back to him. Um, yeah. So (laughs) John says he's really, okay. And this is a thing that I want to talk about because I want everybody to start noticing this from love after lockup to 90 day fiance. And I'm giving you this hot tip. Nobody can pronounce frustrated correctly. Every, and I'm not even exaggerating. Every single one of them says frustrated. Every single one of them. It is incredible. So John is frustrated and Lacey says that even though she's not going to be with John anymore, they always have a connection, not connection, a connection, which is right because they probably have a kid together. Anyway, bless them. Um, Cheryl and Josh, we meet and basically they're just trying to figure out their life. Cheryl's sister, Lacey, comes and we have found out earlier in the season that Cheryl's sister is a prison security guard. So she is not into this relationship with Josh at all. She's very wary about it. And Cheryl's a little bit anxious because um Lacey has come to meet Josh and get uh, a feel of the relationship. Of course it does not go well. <laughs> Josh is actually not too bad, but it's, it's really like more Cheryl freaking out as she'd want to do. And it ends up with uh, her sister leaving, walking out of the restaurant and then getting in a fight in the parking lot. God, every parking lot fight is just a dream. And, Basically, Cheryl starts yelling about her life and how everything is so much better now because she used to be a 
cokehead and a pill addict. Um, and she started drinking when she was 14. And she, when she was 18, she started tr- stripping. And within the first week of her stripping, she got into cocaine. And a month into her stripping, she got into pills. So she's saying that like her life is so much better now and that her sister should be proud of her because of it because she's sober and she's got a job and that she just wants to give Josh the same opportunities to like really rebuild his life in a real way. And if she can do that, then she's going to do it. Um, She's also on the other side saying that she's stretched very thin financially because Cheryl's got kids that are being taken care of by her parents while she's out pursuing this relationship in Colorado So she's giving money to her family to support her kids. She's obviously not working right now. She's given Josh over $2,300 since he's left jail. And she's paying for this hotel to be in for at least a month. So her finances are getting stretched real thin. And she's saying that, you know, like Josh also, we find out, owes $84, 84, excuse me, $84,000 in restitution from his prior um, of bank robbing. And... Yeah, her sister has a lot of questions about that, and that makes sense because Josh says that he's going to owe 12% interest, and so that basically he does not see himself being able to ever pay off that restitution, which is probably close to true. So, you know, sister is being cautious, and it's, you know... (laughs) It's it's necessary. Somebody's got to be thinking straight in this situation. So they kind of leave us off and Cheryl chain smoking cigarettes in the parking lot of the restaurant that they're in, screaming about how much better her life is. So that's the irony on that is not lost on me. <laughs> we are now onto our uh, my least favorite, but the most interesting couple of this week was which is Angela and Tony. Angela's dumbass picks up Tony from the halfway house with her betrothed Tommy, her best friend, slash the man who proposed to her (laughs) three episodes ago. Tommy, they go to pick up Tony from the halfway house that he tried to escape from uh, the first time he left prison. Um, They're, like, making out in the parking lot. Tony's making all these, like, lame half-promises about you know, I love you so much and uh, you're the love of my life and we're going to really start our life together, blah, blah, blah. So they go back to the house and back to Angel's house, the house that Newport built. And they have, they get, they get intimate with, they get intimate with one another. Oh God, I'm truly going to be sick. At one point, we cue to their post-coital bliss, and they're laying in her full-size mattress and smoking cigarettes in bed, which is, like, beyond me. You know, something that you thought was, like, very chic in the movies in the 80s, but, like, now it's just, you know, you know what I mean. Um, She, Angela says that she is so happy now that she's gotten to oh, I can feel the bile in my back of my throat that she got to feel and taste and touch his skin I'm pausing for 
if you guys want to keep your keep your food down. I'm so sorry. I should have I should have issued a trigger warning. <laughs> Um, so she then takes him to the side of her mildewed ridden house and they're both out there in these like, you know, those t-shirts that guys cut the sleeves off. So they look real NASCAR. So she's out there in literally just a t-shirt, no bra, no shorts, not even nary a whisper of a panty. (laughs) Um, yeah, she shows him the motorcycle that she got him and fixed up for him and he gets really excited she said i better not see any bitches on the back of that motorcycle and he's like oh no no i know i won't so uh then they have breakfast and by that i mean they're just sitting at the breakfast table with cigarettes (laughs) and tony has the audacity (laughs) to tell angela that basically angela's saying you know I want my sister Donna Joe to come meet you and she's going to be a little harsh on you. And Tony's saying, well, at some point I'm going to have to be recognized as the boyfriend and not just the guy that you're seeing that just got out of jail, which is a fair point. However, he then goes on to tell <laughs> Angela that he has made sacrifices by being in this relationship. Homeboy, you've only been out of jail about 36 hours so i'm not really sure what sacrifices you're trying to make angela had this exact same question thank god she's finally getting some clarity on this guy and he goes on to tell us in an interview that basically he was in i want to say california and he transferred his prison sentence to mississippi where angela lives in order to be with her in jail i guess (laughs) (laughs) I don't know why it makes a difference of him. I guess so he could parole out and be at her house, I guess. Um, So, yeah, he goes on to say that he has made all these sacrifices to be with her and that um, he basically is going to give this relationship. Oh, and that one of the sacrifices that he listed was, I'm giving you somebody to sleep with every night. get the fuck out of my trailer so then he says that he's going to give this relationship three months and if she doesn't get her shit together that he is walking out okay girl goodbye i I mean and that's the end of love after lockup i mean i think we have like a couple episodes left and i'm really looking forward to them um so yeah we'll see what happens as always, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for listening. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at everyone's business but mine and Twitter at EBBM Podcast. You could also email me any questions, any advice you'd like to give me. Please email me at everyone's business but mine at gmail.com. I will catch you guys. Well, there's been some drama in the world of reality TV, so I might be back next week if everything happens the way I think it is. If not, I'll catch you guys in a couple weeks. Thank you guys for listening. Thank me for speaking. I love you. Bye.